And today is the first Sunday of Advent, where we remember that Jesus came as a baby, so a baby dedication is very fitting. Now, Advent just means coming. It's when we remember Jesus coming. It's why we sing songs like, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And when we think of Christmas, we think of baby Jesus in the manger. Now, there's four accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark, he skips the whole baby thing. Just Jesus appears and starts preaching. No babies. Matthew and Luke are like, wait, no, there's actually some really cool stuff that happened. So Matthew and Luke, they back it up, and that's where we get the angels appearing to Mary and Joseph. You get the trip to Bethlehem. You get the shepherds and the wise men and the star and the manger. That's where we get uh, all of our Christmas picture from. And if Mr. Bean is part of your tradition, you also have the T-Rex. Uh, just to confirm, the T-Rex is not in the Bible. But the fourth account of Jesus' life is from a man named John. And he doesn't start with adult Jesus. He doesn't start with baby Jesus. He goes way, way back to the very beginning. He says, when you look at this manger, when you look at this baby Jesus, there's a far bigger picture that you need to understand in order to make sure you, you, you grasp what, what is going on here. So if you want to open your pew Bibles, page 499, um, John chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read it again. It was played in the video, but just so that we have it here, I'm going to read it again. And it says this, in the beginning, in the beginning, so he's backing way up, was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And the word, or sorry, and he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from John, or sorry, a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own. His own did not receive him, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. So when we think about babies, we don't often think about accomplishments. We think about potential. It was even in the liturgy that we read, for the potential of this baby. 
You know, the things they will do, who will they become, what's their personality going to be? We think about all of these things that could be. And sometimes we look at Jesus in the same way. We look at him, that picture of Jesus in the manger, and all we think is potential. You know, here's where this baby starts and what could he accomplish, and Jesus accomplished a great deal. But John backs up and he says, this all didn't start in Bethlehem. Jesus was full of potential, but he had also been very, very active. See, this baby was present before the first thing existed, before the first day took place. This baby was the creator, the light and life and the presence of God. This baby had John the Baptist as a character reference. This baby had a resume. Here's this baby, and he is accomplished, and he is God, and, 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 and. This baby wasn't just potential. This baby had a resume. And John reminds us that Jesus was fully baby, but he was also fully God. And this idea should slow us down. That when we come to Christmas, when we think of the manger, like the song says, we consider with awe, what child is this? And John starts us in the beginning. His very first words, in the beginning. Now, what does that remind you of? Genesis. That's right. Uh, first book of the Bible. Literally, the first words on the first page in the Bible is in the beginning. Now, John is part of the New Testament. New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek books have titles. But the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, doesn't have book titles. When they're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, they don't use Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. They just use the first words of the Bible. So if you wanted to talk about Genesis, you would say, in the beginning, and everyone thinks, oh, I know that one. It's like if I said, sweet Caroline. See? I say the first couple words, you know what I'm talking about. And John says, in the beginning, and everyone goes, bum, bum, bum that you know what we're talking about. So, in the beginning, in the beginning. See, Genesis chapter 1 starts with a poetic introduction. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it gives a creation account in Genesis chapter 1, another creation account in Genesis chapter 2. John begins with a poetic opening. In the beginning was the word. And then he gives a full creation account. You'll notice that light comes in in verse 4, and Christ comes in in verse 14. John the Baptist appears in verse 6, testifying to Jesus, and John the pa Baptist appears again in verse 15. Creation account, second creation account. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit more in the next few weeks, but basically what John wants us to do is when we think creation, think Jesus. When you think Jesus, think creation. In the beginning was the Word. What Word? Well, the Word is actually a concept. It's not a literal couple of letters in a row with meaning. The Word is an idea. It's like if you said, oh, you know, so-and-so is, they're a healthy person. Um, I don't know if we always explain what this, that code means we need the parent who has that sticker. <laughs> so nobody look, but we just, that's what that means. 
So the word is a concept used by John. It's like if you said someone was healthy and you could say, you know, oh, so-and-so, they're quite healthy. And it, it means sound in body, but it could also mean that they exercise and they only eat or don't eat certain things or they go to bed at a certain time or, or this, that, and the other, that healthy is not just a word, it's a concept. And your idea might be different than my idea, but we have an idea of what it means. And that's similar with the word. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Stoics, the Greeks, the Hebrews, all had an idea of the word. And everyone had a different idea. For some, it was kind of like the force, if you've seen Star Wars. It's the thing that binds all living things together. For some, it was the rational principles of the universe. It was common sense. In the beginning was common sense. For some people, they described it as the breath of God that created everything. That's how the Jews understood it. The Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, is called the Torah. It's, it's the breath of God, the, the expressed will of God, that God said it, and it is. It's like how if you have a teacher and the teacher says, you have homework, well, you have homework because the teacher said it. If you have a boss and the boss says, you get a raise, well, you get a raise because the boss said it. The word is the expressed will. And for us, we have a similar understanding of the word. What makes the world go round? What binds it together? Well, some people might say a higher power or the universe. You know, just throw something into the universe, put it out there, whatever you put out is what's going to come back. Some people are going to say a Newton's laws, cause and effect. That's what holds the world together. Some people in physics might call it the unified field theory, where every particle and every force fits neatly together, and that's what binds it together. In the beginning was the unified field theory. Or maybe it's God's Instagram story, God's TikTok, by which he expresses himself, and it's not him, but it's from him. So it's God's Insta. In the beginning was the word, the common sense, the governing principles, the force that holds everything together, the cosmic glue. Most people are on board at this point. In the beginning, there's something that holds everything together. We're good. But John continues, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So these, these cosmic principles, this common sense, the expressed will of God, it's with God and is God. And the breaks come on. For some, the word was logic. And all of a sudden, when you're saying that the word, that this logic was with God and the logic was God, it's like someone saying to you, numbers have an opinion. Gravity has a preference. You're like, no, that's weird. But John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. For some, they said that the Word is the expressed will of God. And for the Jewish people, they would say, that makes sense. But then John is saying, but that Word became flesh and walked around in Nazareth. You know, Jesus, yay, hi. And they're like, that is wrong. No, that's not right. But in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. 
would have been shocking that that which holds the universe together isn't just a force or an idea, but God himself. And John continues, he said, the, the word is with God. And sometimes when we think of with, you think of the fact that you're with everybody here right now. You're shoulder to shoulder. If you go on a walk with someone, you're, you're together, but you're facing the same direction. You go and work with someone, maybe you're in the same room or different offices, but you're not all that close. Here, when John says the word was with God, the word means face to face. So it's not with like this, it's with like this. Some people translate it as in the lap of the Father. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was sitting in the lap of the Father face to face. This word was a person intimately connected with God. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture in which we see a glimpse of the Trinity. Now, the Trinity, it's one of those things that we can see in the Bible that's very difficult to explain. In the Bible, there's three people called God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see them present at Jesus' baptism. Jesus is in the water. You hear the voice of the Father. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. You see them present at creation. God is there. The Spirit is hovering over the waters, and the Word of God creates. And so it's this picture where we have three people, which we can imagine, and yet in the Bible, we only have one God. So Jesus is a different person from the Father, but is the same God. And that breaks my brain. And I can't explain it. And every analogy I could use is a different heresy that's been condemned over the last hundreds of years. <laughs> so I can tell you two things. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit one God. That's all I know. And some people think, well, you know, shouldn't God be easy to understand? It's like, oh, kind of. But if you were to explain the internet to a five-year-old, say the internet, what's the internet? The internet is computers talking to each other. Is that true? Yeah. Is that enough? No. Are you going to get past that point? No. So you leave it with something that unpacks the idea, that communicates it to the five-year-old, and I think when we get to heaven, we'll go, oh, now I understand. So we don't understand it, but we accept it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, different people, same God. And so Jesus, this baby in the manger, was sitting in the lap of the Father, face to face, the full representation of God, and he became flesh, the embodiment of the principles that bind the world together, the expressed will of God, seven pounds, nine ounces. I don't know if that's how much he weighed, but he's just so many pounds. And if you keep reading, he had quite the list of accomplishments. Well, Jesus, what have you done so far on this day of your birth? Well, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He literally did everything. See, when I was getting this sermon ready, I kind of thought that this was meaningless but interesting philosophy. But to think about the idea of Jesus as the Word, as Jesus as the binding principles, the expressed will of God, having created everything, I'm like, okay, but does it mean anything? Does it actually impact my life? 
And the more that I have looked and listened and thought and considered, the more it has transformed my experience of everything. It has given me hope and joy and significance across the board. See, Jesus is the word, the one who reveals the character of God, the one who holds the universe together. He made everything, but that goes right over our heads. Anytime you hear everything, change it and put something in there. Through him, stories were made. Well, through him, we have narrative and characters and good books. Through him, relationships were made. So we have friends and family and mentors. Through him, gear ratios and torque and internal combustion was made. And so we have bicycles and cars and airplanes. Through him, cells and chemicals and life and atoms and forces and polarities were made. And so we have chemistry and physics and biology and baking. Through Jesus, resonance, tone, and frequencies were made. And so we have speech, birdsong, and music. And see, when we start to take everything and change everything into something, we start to see how there's nothing in our lives that doesn't have the fingerprints of the word all over it. In Colossians 1.16, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I have not always lived like this. My life was a life lived of boxes, and God lived in the God box. And so if I had a question about the Bible or prayer or maybe a crisis, I'd go to God. But if I had a question about investments, God doesn't know anything about investments. If I had a question about career counseling, God is not a career counselor. If I had a question about how to fix my bike, God does not know anything about bikes. So God stays in the God box, and then I have a bike box, a money box, and a life plan box. And see, that's, that's how I lived, is that through him some things were made, and some things hold together. And so what I did is I kept God in the God box because if I brought him into my bicycle, he would have no idea. He'd probably know about as much as me or maybe less. And that would be embarrassing for God to know so little. So I'm not going to bring him over there. When I'm thinking about what to do with inflation, I'm not going to talk to God about that. Because what if, what if he doesn't know anything? So God stays in the God box, and then life is in the life box. And I unwittingly turned God into a cotton candy God. That if it gets wet, it just disappears. Have you seen the video of the poor raccoon? Yeah. If you've already awing, well, Tamea. <laughs> so raccoons apparently like to wash their food before they eat it. I don't know why. But... So this raccoon was given some cotton candy. And he goes to wash it. Poor little fellow. <laughs> And he can't find it anymore. I, don't worry, it gets better, just <laughs> for those of you. See, he, yeah. 
And we're just going to close in prayer. But this raccoon, he brings the cotton candy to the water and it disappears, and the cotton candy to the water and it disappears, and so if I want to keep my cotton candy, I better keep it out of the water. And that's how we treat God. That if we, if we bring him to something that's too complex, he's just going to disappear, so let's just keep him out of it, why don't we? But in the beginning was the Word. The guiding principles, the thing that holds everything together. And that word was God, and that word was with God, and through him all things were made, and nothing that has been made exists except that it was made through him. So God has touched and understands everything. In fact, he imagined it before it existed. He got out his God tools and he created all of it. And once it was made, he sustains it. See, once we understand that there's no corner of our lives that doesn't intimately understand that it was made by God and God understands it, it transforms everything. In the beginning was the Word. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say that God is not scared or confused or baffled by his own creation. I'm going to say that when we think about the stars... God's not scared. He knows how old they are. He made them. And he's okay with that. And we might disagree. Ah, it's this old. Oh, it's well, do you know what? God knows how old it is. And he made them and he's okay with that. So I think if we bring God into astronomy, that's okay. Because Christmas reminds us that God used the stars to bring the wise men to Jesus. And I think God knows how he made all life on this planet. And you and I might disagree, but God knows and he's okay with that. And so sometimes we're afraid to bring Jesus into biology, but the same God who created all life is the one who, who met with the people practicing agriculture with the sheep to bring them to Jesus. And so I don't think we have to be as worried about things because Jesus knows how he did it. And he's okay with that. In the beginning was the word. Not some cotton candy God that disappears as soon as we take him out of the God box. But he is robust. He is intelligent. And he understands every atom in creation. There's a quote I enjoy by G.K. Chesterton. It's a little pretentious, but he says this, You say grace before meals. All right. But I say grace before the concert and the opera, and grace before the play and pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. What a beautiful picture. Again, pretentious, but beautiful. (laughs) That every aspect of our lives is connected to the Word because in the beginning was the Word and He made all things. See, that transforms everything that we touch. And on one hand, that is a deep and profound sense of joy. And on the other hand, is that a deep and profound sense of joy? I mean, the world has a lot of amazing things, but you don't have to think too hard before you come across something that isn't amazing. That if the world was created by God, 
And if this word knows everything honestly, what's the deal? Why is the world so weary? Why is there month at the end of the money? Why do people have to not just wonder how to pay the bills, but which bill to pay? Why are there wars, protests, and divisive politics? Why are marriages, friendships, and family relationships stressed, strained, or broken? Why does sickness seep into our lives and the lives of our loved ones? tainting our present and robbing the future? Why is loneliness so crushing? There seems to be different opinions, but it seems that the point of no return for climate change seems to be sometime in the next five to 10 years. Why do cars keep breaking down? Why are good jobs hard to find? Why do all the plans we have for our lives, well, why can't we do what we wanted to? Why can't we do what we should and why can't we do what we used to do? I mean, if Jesus knows all this, what's the deal? Why is there Ebola, cancer, and COVID? Why is there so much hopelessness? Why is there an opioid crisis? Why is there an increasing consolidation and corruption of power? Why is there abuse of all kinds? And why do we struggle with the feeling that we can't do anything to change a future that seems increasingly bleak? If the word was in the beginning, and if the word was God and with God, and if the word made all things, why is the world so hopeless? Came across a meme the other day. If you don't know what a meme is, it's an internet joke or observation. And someone says, trying to explain to my parents very gently that basically nobody under 40 right now expects good things to happen ever again. <laughs> Does anyone agree with that? Yeah, a few people are like, uh. Anyone over 40, they're like, oh, there's no age limit on hopelessness. <laughs> there is an increasing pessimism among many in the world that there's no hope for anything good to happen. If the word was in the beginning, why is the world so weary? I think Ikea can help us just a little bit. Ikea has three parts. There's the show floor, the warehouse, and meatballs. <laughs> and which part do you go to first? If you're going to Ikea for meatballs, you go to the cafeteria, you have the meatballs. But if you're not going for the meatballs, where do you go first? The show floor. Have you ever thought about how many square feet Ikea dedicates to not selling anything? It's like half the store. And what you do is you wander through and you think, okay, this chair goes with that rug, goes with that painting, goes with that couch, goes with that table. And then you come over here and you're like, okay, in the bathroom, this hanging and that and that and that. And you see how it's all put together. And the goal isn't just to see how they put it together, but it starts to inspire you that if that chair goes there, well, maybe in my house, that chair could go here. Well, and if that painting looks good there, well, maybe that painting would look good in my life. And you start to look at the showroom and think, if they could do that with this, I think 
I could see it in my life. And then you go to the warehouse and you get what you need. If you just started at the warehouse, you're like, this place is awful. <laughs> it's just boxes, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. And Jesus is the showroom for the kingdom of God. Oftentimes, we start in the warehouse, and we think, I have no idea how this stuff is supposed to look in my life. But when we look at Jesus, we see that the world, this weary, weary world, is actually not the way that it's supposed to be. Jesus came and he lived the kind of life to bring in the kingdom of God. And he says, you're in this weary, weary world. Let me introduce you to the showroom of the kingdom of God. And in the showroom of the kingdom of God, we can see that forgiveness from God to us and us to each other is possible. We're like, okay, well, if forgiveness fit like that in Jesus' life, well, maybe maybe forgiveness could fit in my life over here. And we see in Jesus' life that money doesn't make your life good or bad, but that God promises to take care of us. And beneath it all, he gives us this rock-solid piece of contentment. So if we look at Jesus and we think, okay, money, money holds a lower place in your life, so maybe I could take that lower place for money and maybe that just fits in my kitchen just so. And when we look at the life of Jesus, what we're given is this picture of the showroom of the kingdom of God. And if we look at the Old Testament like the warehouse and, and the gospels like the showroom, Jesus unpacks for us what does it mean to live the life in the world that God has always intended. See, there's a hopelessness in the world because we've been looking to the world for hope. But Christ comes, the word became flesh. And he gives us a different picture. See, in the picture that Christ gives us, sick, sickness is subject to the word. Sickness does not belong. In this picture, Christ shows that power and authority is meant for the good of people. And abuse is no more. In that picture, death is no longer the undefeated enemy. But the keys to the grave have been taken by Christ, and there is hope. In the picture that Christ gives us, the least are loved, the dead have life, the hopeless have hope, and all of creation is given the promise of restoration. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And Aldergrove Stop looking for hope in the world. I don't think you'll find it. And start looking to Christ. Stop wandering the warehouse for inspiration. And spend some time in the showroom. With Jesus unpacking what this kingdom is supposed to look like. See, our, broken is a, our world is a broken and weary place where hope seems a silly idea. Only simple people hope. That's naive. But when we spend time to, with Christ, we see that there is hope. That when my plans change, not just my plans for the day, but plans for the year or plans for my life, Jesus shows us that changed plans don't change God's love for us. That the brokenness that characterizes my life, where I self-sabotage, when I watch myself doing the things I do not want to do, 
There's hope because Jesus invites us in as his apprentices to learn from him how to be like him. Because of Christ, the weary world can rejoice. That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. The more we respond to Jesus' invitation to join him in the kingdom of God, the more we see hope. So I encourage you, First, to accept Jesus' invitation to live in the kingdom. Hope is not found in this world, to join him in his. Not, not, not head in the clouds, but just walking with Jesus, seeing the world as he sees it, seeing people as he sees them, seeing our situations as he sees it. That is where we find hope, is to join Jesus in his world. Secondly, if we want hope, invite Jesus to join us in our world. Honestly, for a long time, I prayed prayers where I wouldn't pray about anything that makes sense. Does that make sense? It's like, if I'm baking a cake and the cake calls for a cup of flour, I measure a cup of flour and put the flour in, no prayer needed. If my computer needs an HDMI cable, I plug in an HDMI cable, no prayer needed. And so what I have is I have the God parts of my life and the no God needed parts. But instead, when we invite Jesus in, as we put the flour into the cake and as we make it through, as we invite him into our world, our perspective is transformed. Last week, I had to do a lot of work on our car. And it was cold, and I was lying on the concrete floor. Started at 9 a.m., and I finished at 1 a.m. <laughs> I'm not fast. It was not straightforward. But there was so, I, I noticed, I don't know if God changed anything on the car, but I saw him change me. Because for 14 hours I worked on that blessed car. <laughs> and it works. And it was frustrating. But every time I was frustrated, I just took a moment and remembered that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word created the principles of an alternator. And the Word knows how this alternator comes out, and the Word knows how this alternator goes in. And so what I'm trying to do is spend time with the Word, and it was a day of prayer. And I was transformed, even if my car was not. And when we invite Jesus into our lives, we see that the in the beginning was the Word, and this Word created everything. And so if you work with numbers all day, the Word created those numbers. So why not invite the Word into your Excel document? Microsoft Office joke. The Word into the... <laughs> if you work with dirt... Why not invite the word into your weeding? If you work with kids and you can't figure out how to connect with a kid, why not invite the word into the conversation? Because the word knows this kid better than you ever will. And see, we have hope. And our lives are transformed when we invite the word into our world and we accept his invitation into the kingdom. So I'm going to invite the band up. So Aldergrove, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and because of this, the weary world can rejoice. If you would like prayer, we have people willing to pray with you at the front in here or in the prayer room at the back. Um, Would you stand? And would you join me as we just close in prayer? So Jesus, we thank you that before the world began, you were. And though you created all things, you packed yourself up into a baby-sized human and you joined us in our world. And so Jesus, we bring our hopelessness to you. We bring the brokenness and the weariness of the world to you and we ask that we would see the world as you see it. And Jesus, if we have been walking with you for a long time or if we never have, I pray that you would give us the faith to accept the invitation to walk with you, to learn what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And God, I pray that you would spark our imagination to see what it would look like to invite you into our world to not hold you out, but to invite you in. So God, teach us to walk with you and teach us to invite you to walk with us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.